Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the new action-adventure game from Respawn Entertainment, taking place between Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars A New Hope. Players will wield a lightsaber, hone their force powers, and adventure across the galaxy in hopes of rebuilding the Jedi Order. Become a Jedi in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, available now on Xbox One, PS4, and PC rated T for teen. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Oris Watches. For over 115 years, Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland. Staying true to a rich heritage, Oris is one of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated. And watches come in four themes, diving, aviation, motorsport, and culture. So Oris has a watch for everyone and every occasion. Shop the collection at oris.ch slash podcast to go your own way. That's O-R-I-S dot C-H slash podcast to go your own way. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, sitting on embargoed information like Randolph and Mortimer Duke. It's Andy Greenwald! Wow! Yeah, orange wow. juice futures, bro! Deep cut. <laughs> Chris, I'm just so happy to report that, you know, the passage of time remains a constant. I'm, I'm here in the parking lot uh, outside of where we're editing, and the leaves have changed. It's like an outtake from the Cider House rules right now. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's we, I've got a little foliage on my block, too. It's, it's funny that you're talking about the passage of time, Andy. Mm. Because uh, we've got Yahya Abdul-Mateen II on the show today to talk about Amazing. his role as Cal dot 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 on Watchmen. Wink, wink. Yeah, don't want to spoil anything for people. Obviously, Yahya and I talked about Watchmen as of uh, the penultimate episode, episode 8, which aired Sunday. It's in advance of the season finale this coming Sunday. But forget all the, that other TV stuff, man, Andy. I know that you have some news for us. I do. I'm very excited. My main news is, after a year, basically, of working on Briar Patch, I can tell you I think I need glasses now. That's my big news. <laughs> Do you really? I, I, I haven't told you this in person. I'm telling the world. I think I'm ready to enter my Clark Kent phase. Nice. Because up to now, it's just been straight Superman. Straight kal I think so. Yeah. I think that, I think that this experience has, has lifted me up in so many ways, but broken me in one specific way. The ability to take in visual information. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know what high key so sucks new. about being 40 but still looking at your and being in your 40s and staring at your computer screen all day is like <laughs> Tell me, tell me. That time of the day where you're like, did I just attach my retina? Where but you're just looking at vulture, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like <laughs> I, I I said to myself when I was leaving yesterday, I was leaving work at 10 p.m. and I was looking at the the commute home, I was like, you know, how much do I really need to see to remember this route? You know, it's basically a straight shot on the 10. So that's news A. But news B, in all seriousness, is I am really excited to be able to announce on, I'm sorry, what's the name of this podcast again? Big picture. On the Watch podcast, the official premiere date for Briar Patch. And that date is Thursday, February 6th at 10 p.m. on USA Network. Drop the Chernobyl music. We got the ER slot, baby. Yeah. Thursday's at 10. I love it. Is that up against Grays? 
boy, you really know how to take the wind out of a blind guy's sails. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. But look, you know, we live in a world where you don't have to choose one or the other. Just just definitely 100% watch Briar Patch Live and tape the other show. That's yeah. really all I have to say about Watch Briar Patch, download Briar Patch legally for your, your viewing devices. Um, write to your local councilman and tell them what Briar Patch means to you. I got to say, as a fan of old school, everything when it comes to television, the fact that like not only do I get to be on a regular TV, which is just really cool, I think, but Thursdays at 10, that is like, that, that's the hammer. That's L.A. law, man. That's really that crazy. That was the slot. I know. You really so, did. You, 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 I can bury it up. I'm very, very excited about that. And I can also let people know that um, in addition to that premiere day, we are also unveiling the key art, as they say, the high key art. Um, which you'll be seeing hopefully soon on uh, posters and subways and billboards, as well as a new trailer that I'm definitely going to link to. And um, the Thursday to 10 thing is big. And the other thing is that there are, there is subway art and Rosario and I were talking about it. And we both agreed that we didn't even want to see any pictures of it from people. Like we didn't want friends to take pictures of it in the subways until it was properly defiled. Yeah. I mean, I really, New York has to come correct on this. What I'm really hoping for is that we get some sort of recreation of Carrie Bradshaw and the sex in the city titles where you're walking along (laughs) and it's just like (laughs) Briar patch drives by on a bus and you just make a bashful face, you know, like just a guy out there (laughs) getting a bagel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Except someone has drawn an elaborate Snidely whiplash mustache on, on Rosario. Exactly. That way we know. Exactly. <laughs> Correct. Uh, Andy, so we're that's gonna, my news. We're going to get into this Yaya interview in a minute, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. Know, we, I know we didn't do oh, yeah. our Mandalorian recap this week, so we'll maybe we'll throw that in on Monday. Uh, we'll double dip on Mandalorian. But yes. I did want to, you know, as some people may have noticed, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker is coming out soon, and the press push is happening in earnest. That's not surprising. But the surprising thing is to see on the sort of rounding third here, quite literally with the third movie, that the Star Wars franchise a little bit, if you were being, you know, kind of, if you wanted to look at it a certain way, it's kind of eating itself a little bit. A lot of, uh, to put, not to put find a point on it, knives out for my boy Ryan Johnson and for Last Jedi. In a couple of interviews, John Boyega has mentioned, you know, kind of, not feeling all the way there with Ryan's Ryan Johnson's vision for Last Jedi. I don't want to take anything out of context and unfairly portray it because I know that people are going wild with it now. But then the the filmmakers and the cast kind of doubled down on it in a New York Times article written by David Scoff that I think came out today, in which J.J. Abrams was kind of like dismissive of of certain elements of Last Jedi, talking about its meta quality and how that's not really what Star Wars people look for when they go to Star Wars. And then Daisy Ridley said. There was like kind of a sigh of relief when it was announced that J.J. Abrams was coming back because it was going to provide a certain structure. And Boyega commented that he wanted to see basically, like he wanted to get The Force Awakens back. So I, I just was curious what you thought about this as we are the preeminent non-binge mode Star Wars Chronicles in the podcast universe. Yeah, I think it's all really interesting. I mean, I think the first thing you said is probably the most important, which is, uh, it's not that quotes are taken out of context, but they're taken and they're amplified. Yeah. You know, and we don't know um, what else was said about Ryan Johnson or about that movie. I don't think necessarily, certainly in the part of J.J. Abrams, it doesn't sound like there was any ill will intended. But it's very odd to see a stumble like this from Disney in general, a Disney property, but certainly from one of the largest and preeminent brands in the world, right? It's just not supposed to be this messy. Star Wars was always supposed to be an empire-like monolith of culture that just delivered something that was 
you know, undeniable, like the force. And we've been chronicling this over the last few years, these cracks in that armor, clearly not Mandalorian armor. And, you know, you know, they were media trained on this and they were talked yeah. through this, but it does feel like the shakiness at the root of the franchise that's public facing has taken, has taken root a little bit on the other side of it as well. Right. Like it, it, I don't know if this is exact. It's not really a uh, a dog whistle. It's a sarlacc whistle or something, right? <laughs> to basically say to the fans who were kind of gamergating the Last Jedi that you're welcome back now. Right. It's all a little bit odd. And the other thing I would say is, I think being an actor is actually incredibly hard. You know, not coal minery hard, but it's hard because you have to put yourself out there and you have very little control. And so feeling safe is paramount to an actor having a, giving a good performance. But Asking them about the safety of the story that they're a part of, I think, is kind of a sucker's game because, you know, what you and I liked about The Last Jedi, and I'll say it right here, you can take it out of context if you want, The Last Jedi was good, full stop, was that it was not safe, was that it poked holes in and chipped away at the the veneer of Star Wars as this impeccably perfect sculpted thing and challenged it in really interesting and honestly, for this franchise, radical ways. So a bummer basically yeah yeah you know, you know there's, it, there's 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 nothing that's coming out of this press thing i know it's supposed to make everyone feel better and feel relieved but there was nothing about force awakens that made me feel like boy this is this is a bold new direction yeah this one is what of the I things return to that boyega actually pointed out in uh i, I don't know I, I read it on the wrap but i'm not sure where the original interview was which i suppose speaks to the problem here but boyega was talking about how the original trilogy of movies was so solidly about Han, Luke, and Leia, and that that trio of yeah. characters really drove the original trilogy. And this second trilogy, or this third trilogy, rather, of films, has really been, it was supposed to be about Finn, Poe, and Rey, but it's also about Kylo, but it's also about Han, Luke, and Leia, and also yeah. about Snoke and, and whoever else, and we're not sure, and also, you know, Domhnall Gleeson, it's, there's a lot of like, they kind of tried to do too much with these three movies. And Boyoga, I think, actually got at that, which was like, perhaps the canvas was too wide. Perhaps we started like too many different sub stories. Yeah. And I think that, I, I think that The Last Jedi tried to lean into that and have as much fun and uh, thoughtful things to say about that as possible. But I think he was actually pointing at something structurally wrong with these three movies. It's just that, that wasn't Ryan Johnson's fault. Those problems were there at Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. And you said it yourself. I mean, you can't say this movie is about the new and the old at the same time. And The Last Jedi is actually super brilliant because it's about killing the old in the service to the new and how uncomfortable that can be, especially when the new is looking so desperately to the old for a reason to exist or for something to pick up on or for some, some, some purpose, right? And... The other thing about it is that they threw a lot of characters at us in Force Awakens. I think the other thing about, about The Last Jedi that was smart is that it said, well, no, the Ray Kylo thing is actually the most interesting one. Yeah. And that's unfortunate if you happen to be named John Boyega, who is giving a great performance, but doesn't really have that much to do, um, or certainly didn't have that much to do. And similarly for Oscar Isaac, who is a great actor whom we love, who was supposed to die in The Force Awakens, but I guess either um, J.J. or Kathleen Kennedy or the people who make the action figures were like, don't do that. Yeah. So, you know, it's also, I think one of the most telling things about that New York Times article, which I'm sure people will check out, 
is actually, it ends kind of with a joke that actually gives the whole thing away, where at the very end of it, they're joking about how they all know this isn't the last time they're going to play these characters. And Oscar Isaac is joking that he's going to be on a Disney Plus series. And the truth is, he probably yeah, will be. absolutely. That character was kept alive, probably, for a Disney Plus series. That's it. And so what kind of resolution are we really looking at with this movie? And I fundamentally just don't know whose story they're trying to resolve. This is a lot of big questions to throw out for a movie that we haven't seen. We haven't talked to anyone who's seen it. Maybe it's great. But my, for anyone interested in my temperature in this parking lot uh, a week before we see the movie, is that I, I, I fundamentally can't believe, but also, of course, they're going to make it all about Palpatine the whole time. Because yes. I guess they felt like this movie needed a Sauron or the whole, they needed to be three trilogies that were actually one story. But who told them they had to do that? Not Ryan Johnson. Uh, we'll see yeah, how, we'll, we'll obviously be talking a lot about Star Wars in the coming weeks. We will obviously be talking about how Watchmen wraps up. We had our interview with Damon Lindelof on Monday. My interview with Yaya Abdul-Mateen II is coming up next. Andy, thanks so much for calling in, man. Thanks, Brantskis. Talk to you next week. Later, brother. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Real Real. Own iconic luxury items at unreal values with The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury consignment from top designers. Shop from designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, Cartier, and hundreds more at up to 90% off retail. The Real Real employs over 100 brand authenticators, gemologists, horologists, and art curators who inspect thousands of items each day to ensure that every item is authenticated. New arrivals come in daily and every single item is authenticated by the Real Real's team of authenticators. Shop and consign women's and men's luxury fashion as well as fine jewelry, watches, art, and home. You can shop and consign online with the app or visit one of the stores in Soho or West Hollywood or their newest location at 870 Madison Avenue in New York. In-store customers receive an automatic $25 off at checkout. And if you're a consigner, don't forget about the Real Real's white glove service for free in-home pickup. Everybody knows it's the holiday season. There's probably someone special in your life that you're looking to get something special for. I really can't recommend the Real Real enough when it comes to that. If you're looking to really make a splash, to really make an impression, or really say, I love you to somebody, check out some of the stuff that they have. Uh, shop in-store online or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. That's therealreal.com promo code REAL for 20% off select items. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by American Express. I am one of the lucky few with a commute in L.A. that only takes about 15 minutes. But I still make the most of my drive by listening to my favorite podcasts. I'll get a head start on shows like House of Carbs, Binge Mode, or The Big Picture, and then I'll finish up the episode when I get to the office. It's a great way to ease myself into the day. No matter what your morning commute looks like, you can ease your mind a little bit, knowing that with Green from Amex, you're getting three times the points on travel, including transit like taxis, rideshares, subway swipes, and even ferry rides for those of you who get to enjoy a nice breeze on your way to work. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash green from Amex. Terms apply. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Pepsi. There are a lot of things to celebrate these days in pop culture, and Pepsi can take all of your celebrations to the next level. Whether your favorite show returns for a new season, your favorite director releases a new movie, or your favorite band drops a new album, when it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open a Pepsi. So one of the things that's going to happen on Sunday is we're just going to get an incredible pop culture night because we've got a full day of football, which is going to be really exciting because there's so many playoff races still going. And then we all get up to the end where we get to watch the Watchmen season finale. You're going to need to power yourself through it, brothers, sisters. So why not crack open a Pepsi to help you do it? Pepsi's the best way to kind of celebrate 
a Sunday spent on the couch watching television. What's more American than that? Pepsi is the official sponsor of the NFL, so shout out to the NFL for having relevant games in December. And it reminds you to always be celebrating. All right, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, thank you so much for joining me on The Watch, man. Yeah, man. What a week for you. It's going down. I hardly even um, know what day it is today. I'm just kind of here. Yeah, so this is— glad uh, to be here, though. Yeah, man. We've been watching every—I mean, it's been one of those shows that, like, really has that—almost like that Game of Thrones feel where, like, you can feel the anticipation building towards Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, like, this collective watching experience happening on Sundays. But I was kind of curious because I know you've you've been, like, following along with the audience. Mm -hmm. If you could think of, like, what's the most unintentionally funny thing— someone said to you in the weeks leading up to seven before like the the reveal like if somebody was like anybody who you know kind of like damn dude why'd you do watchmen you're not even doing anything <laughs> that's that that's the most fun i mean you know <laughs> no one really said it beforehand but uh yesterday i was talking to my friends you know my guys who uh-huh. who, uh, who 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 keep it honest with me or at least who i hope are keeping honest <laughs> with me and just yesterday they said yeah man you know he said, "Man, why'd you keep this away from me? You know, <laughs> you know, for so long because, uh, <laughs> you know, usually I let them know about all the all the things that I'm doing, right? And uh, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, you know, if I would have known that, I would have felt a lot better about telling other people to watch it, you know. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, 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 I know, I know, you know, the whole time that they were just thinking, you know, man, he really took this role." He said, yeah, you only had about five lines in the first seven episodes. I know, it's because if you go back to I was I've been going back and watching your parts throughout the season, and there's two reasons why it's so cool. One, it's very funny because if you're your friend or whatever, yeah. you're just like, damn, so you did this role and all you do is say, right. honey, your pager has been right. going and, off. Uh, and okay. <laughs> yeah, and okay. Yeah. But then if you go back and you rewatch, I was rewatching the um the dinner scene with mm-hmm. you and, mm-hmm. and Regina and Don Johnson, and you can just read every single line differently hmm. now. Hmm. I mean, when he's like, when Don Johnson says, "Oh, um, you know, you, this is what you get for skipping out on Oklahoma." Yeah, we get, and she, and he, you're so mystified yeah. about this, and she's like, "You hate musicals." Yeah, but now you know that she's actually just like filling in a blank mm-hmm. and telling you you hate musicals. Uh-huh. Have uh-huh. you gone back and rewatched any of the older episodes now? I hadn't. I hadn't. But one of the things that I um, early on, you, you know, after I found out about about the big reveal mm-hmm. and things like that and about Cal's past, I thought, I said, man, I I thought that she was a, sort of a manipulative character a yeah. little bit. You know, there was a there was a couple weeks where I, w- I was looking at Angela a little bit differently. Really? Because, yeah, because, well, she was a character who was keeping Cal in the dark. Cal didn't know. And now we know why he didn't know or why she would not have told him. Yeah. But Cal literally didn't know. So everything that he was getting, he was getting from her. And so there was a, there, there was a couple weeks where I was, you know, preparing my work and I had the opportunity to say, you know, how does, you know, um, what kind of character is is Angela, mm-hmm. you know, is she, is she someone who's, who's, uh, who can really, really, truly be trusted because she's sort of guiding, like you said, she, she has to have been spoon feeding Cal a lot of the information sure. about him and he doesn't know. So he, so he goes along with the, with the plan, but you even know, she can always blame it on his accident. Yeah. And then there's also just like, she's explaining his preferences mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, to some extent his physical form is her choice. Yeah, right. And yeah, then yeah. like everything about him 
is kind of shaped in terms of like almost being like the perfect man in a yeah. lot of ways. It's kind of fascinating to think about it. Yeah, that's true. That's as true. Like that's Angela true. is like Angela's agency there. Yeah. She so, makes him patient. You yeah. know, she probably, you know, fed that he's very understanding, that he loves to cook, yeah. loves to clean and stay at home. He says, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> that sounds great. I guess I do like to do that, those things. One of the really cool things about the show is, you know, and you've done like human drama. Like I really loved First Match, for instance. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, and uh, yeah, thank you. Which people can catch on Netflix. And, and if, if you if you like sports movies, like you should just definitely check it out. Like it's just like a really uh, moving drama. And then you'll do like superhero, like pop art action, like like Aquaman. Like Watchmen seems like it's a combination of both, mm-hmm. right? Like you get to have the intimate human interactions, even in the Saigon bar scenes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. while also satisfying. Like I get to float. Yeah. And blow people's heads. Like, yeah. was that an attraction in the material, that combination of the best of two worlds? Definitely. You know, I, I like to, um, I like to chase my, chase, uh, you know, appetite has really been the word for me you know, over the past couple years. And that's why my work is so varied. That's, that's why I, I, I like to think that my work is so varied because my appetite changes. So, you know, I do something like The Greatest Showman, partner, then my appetite changes and I, and I want to go do something like Aquaman. Immediately mm-hmm. after Aquaman, I knew that I had to do something with two feet in the ground and just be a regular guy, like I say, a lot, guy on a Tuesday with a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went and I did uh, Handmaid's Tale. And then after that, I went and I did uh, Black Mirror, which was, a, which was a different type of work. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. And Watchmen came around when I had the appetite to do something that was a bit more um, exciting than uh, than uh, Black Mirror. I wanted to do some, something that I could commit to for a while. And it, and, it, and it was. It was the perfect opportunity to go in and do something that, that that was heightened, but also, or that had the possibility of being heightened, but that was also grounded in some real world and real world events and with some history and, and uh, really heavy stakes. Yeah. So um, for me, it was a really a perfect opportunity to, to do something that was a mixture between the two. I was curious, without giving away too many state secrets, how not necessarily Damon and the, and the writing team like presents the truth about your character, uh-huh. but how you go out about like finding out about what the show is going to be about. Like, is there like a presentation that's like, look, this is the the history of everything that's happened since Watchmen that we're presenting to you guys. Like, do you guys get like a show Bible to kind of study? Like, how do you immerse yourself in like all the factual, like, or at least the, the factual stuff for the show yeah. that the, the show is going to be dealing? This is the reality. Yeah. Well, for me, that wasn't a, a real part of it, a, a real part of the process for me, you know, I came on after all those decisions had been made and they were, you know, in, in terms of myself, I was looking for a job and Cal was the opportunity. So I stepped on and I learned, uh, um, I learned once I read the pilot, mm-hmm. you know, so the pilot was sort of my my Bible into the world that we were creating. Sure. I learned that we would be dealing with real events from history, uh, such as the uh, such as the Oklahoma massacre. Uh, and I learned that, that uh, you know, just with the world of Watchmen, that it's a sort of a parallel universe. And so I knew that there would be possibilities of, of uh, going in a lot of different directions, but really the pilot was was my introduction and letting me know the territory that I was going to step into. Uh, it was so well written. It was an adventure. It was a whodunit mystery, mm-hmm. uh, and you know there were a lot of elements that let me know that, that there's a lot of a lot of potential. Um, now that said, uh, Damon and the writing staff would have always been available had I had I yeah. knocked on the door and asked and say, okay, what's what's the scope of this thing that we're doing? Why is it important? But I think also because of the complexities of the show, Damon was also very careful of when to give out information. I didn't even know that I was playing uh, the character that I ended up playing until I shot uh, two 
two episodes in, right. you know, uh, um, and, and then I had I sat down and had a conversation on the couch. And that's when, you know, that's when I learned. So they, he was very, very uh, judicial with, with, with specific with parsing out information and including the cast on the bigger picture. Did you, when you found out, were you like, I wish I had known this for the pilot necessarily? No. Like, do you think, you know, you're glad you didn't? Yeah, I'm glad I didn't because, because I got a chance to uh, really develop a real attachment to Cal. Wow. Um, and Cal needed to be a fully fleshed out person, as fully fleshed out as he could be, so that when it came time to make the change, that people had a, a, an emotional attachment to Cal. And so I wanted people to say, to experience Cal and to say, Cal was a guy who was who was a man, who was a lover, who was sort of a simple guy, but who was confident in, in his position. He was a protector, um, and he was really like a, a backbone for, mm-hmm. for Angela in her chaotic life. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to muddy that with projecting onto something else that was something more mysterious. Yeah. And it really gave me the opportunity to really focus on one character at a time and not muddy the two. Yeah, it's interesting that you you say it that way because then I imagine even once the reveal happens, mm-hmm. the first sort of really piece of acting that we see of you doing yeah. that is you just, you with your hands. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> but it's kind of kind of remarkable because like, it kind of goes along with this idea is like, how would you stare God in the face? Yeah. You know, so can you tell me a little bit about shooting the Saigon bar scene? Because I thought that that was so remarkable, but like yeah. you're still acting with like your collarbone yeah. and your and your hands yeah. and your wrists and stuff. Like, tell me a little bit about blocking that and, and, and playing that scene with Regina. Well, first I was uh, so excited to get to my episode, right? Yeah. To get to the episode where I get to, I get to, I get to do my thing. You know, I kind of been, you know, in the shadows for seven episodes, uh, happy about my position and everything, but not really getting to, you know, really take on something in the way that I, in, in the way that I know that I can. And I get to the script and there's like 16 or 17 pages of bar scene. And I have on a mask <laughs> and I'm like, come on guys, like you get to my thing and, and, and you're not even going to film me? Like what's going on? So that was the first thing. But after, I, you know, after, you know, you get over yourself and you go up and you show up and you, and you do the job. And, uh, and it really was, it really turned out to be a gift because I got to sit down and play with Dr. Manhattan and to learn about his physicality of this, of this new character, to live inside of this, this new body that I'm bringing to the camera without the pressures of uh, really performance, you yeah. know? And so I got to spend a couple of days inside of this different type of physical container and learning about the ways that he's, you know, pr- precise with his movements and, and, and the way that he articulates himself and his body language and his voice. And I just got to, kind of got to work on things without the, um, without the added pressure of, of knowing that this was what the, what the entire performance was going to be. I kind of got to piece it out and things like that a bit. And, uh, and then you know it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt when you get to sit across from from uh, Regina King right. and 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 just you know and and that becomes my job for a couple of days. Yeah, you know it's it's such a remarkable scene because for the entire season, like we were talking about earlier, like there is a degree to which you know Angela is managing Cal and yeah. is kind of like keeping him in the dark about certain things, obviously, but is definitely shaping him. And then that's the first time we get to hear Cal's voice, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, speaking for himself and also kind of coming from a position of of you know. The utmost power. Yeah. Like yeah, almost yeah. spiritual levels of power. Yeah. I was curious because, you know, I know that you, you know, you went to school, you went to Cal for uh, architecture mm-hmm. and worked in city planning. This might be a little bit of like an out there question, but I was wondering whether there's a part of you that can see story in the way that some people might see blueprint drawings or like that you think you have an, whether or not you feel like your background in that, that field gives you an appreciation for 
the narrative construction and the kind of things mm-hmm. that Damon and the team were trying to do with the show and all the different layers and all the different like digressions that mm-hmm. eventually kind of come back together and mm-hmm. you know well, whether whether that gives you a heightened appreciation. Yeah, well, it's well. I mean, I, I think the thing that you're touching on that I identify with is uh, is layers mm-hmm. piecing together story in, in in many different layers. I, there was a time where uh, I used to in walking around in the world, I used to uh, like literally there were always red lines that I would see. Hmm. And the red lines would be connecting one building to another building and one platform to another platform. I was always designing in my head the the world that I was moving in mm-hmm. with red lines. Now I, I sort of take that same brain and I, I'm sort of always crafting stories, always looking at images. Those lines have turned into images and people turned into opportunities to, to piece people and scenarios together and tell stories. So mm-hmm. um, I think I, um, I and, and also just as an actor, I, I think I've become really uh, uh, comfortable with physical space. You know, and, mm-hmm. and and having my spatial awareness, we like to call that 360-degree awareness, you know, um, just the physical awareness of everything in my surrounding. And I think that definitely help, helps me as an actor. But listening to story, you know, um, and, and experiencing story from the multi-layers in the way that Damon does, uh, that's a very unique talent that talent that he has. And it's it's a it can be a challenge to put on, to attempt to step in. To attempt yeah. to step into that brain. Because you know? you're like one part of it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. like when you guys are doing, you know, your scenes together, you you and Regina, like you're you're probably quasi aware of like the Gene Smart element of it and yeah. like Gene Smart's calling your character on yeah. a payphone and stuff like yeah. that. Like how much of that stuff are you drawing from or how much of that stuff have you, have you, have you or is that more of like a, after the experience you kind of go back and look at that? It's sort of like that. It's sort of, you know, after the experience you go back or even when, um, you know, even, you know, you read it and you know about it, but if you can't use it at the time, I don't try to force it in. Yeah. Uh, but with, like with the guy with Dr. Manhattan is, you know, the, the challenge is, the challenge was he's experiencing everything all at the same time. Now, if I sit down and I try to play that, I'm never going to, I'm never going right. to make it. You right. know, the performance is going to be a mess. I'm either going to be doing everything or I'm going to be, be stuck doing nothing, you know. Uh, so, so I try to take each moment one at a time and let the writing and let the editing and let everything else show that I'm that I'm actually in multiple places. And so I, it's, it's sort of, you know, I kind of flip it. And instead of doing it all at one time, I do one thing at one time, one thing at one time and let it all equate to me doing it all. So you're just thinking about like, how is my hand going to move? In this yeah, thing? I just I just try to stay extremely present because that, I think that's the thing with a guy like like uh, that character. He's extremely present. He just happens to be ex- extremely present everywhere, <laughs> everywhere all, all the at time. the same time. Yeah. You know, I just have the you know, I have the luxury of, you know, them filming me at one time. They're filming me in the bar. So I'm going to be as present as I can in the bar. You know, and as present as I can with Angela, unless there's scenes where he's, uh, where he admits to being distracted and things like sure. that. So yeah, he was a definitely a challenge uh, stepping into that. Probably the most most challenging thing that I've done on film uh, to date. You know, you're you're watching along with people. I know that you do a lot of stuff on 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 social media where you're mm-hmm. like kind of very much present for people as yeah. they're kind of watching the episode. Yeah. I was wondering what's been the most like heartwarming and aff- affirming thing that you've seen mm-hmm. and also what was the most surprising thing that you've seen as you've kind of been looking through people's responses to yeah. the show? Um, just, just you know, people are uh, 
kind of funny, and it's kind of it's kind of funny that well, you, you know, there's a couple things. One of the reactions is that the people don't realize that I'm the same person from Aquaman, or they don't realize right. that I'm the guy from the Get Down or a first match or something like that. Yeah. So just watching, uh, you know, there's a certain pocket of the internet that are. You know, that I get to watch Discover Me for the first time over and over and over. And I'm like, oh, I remember you said the same thing. Like, this person said the same thing a year ago about yeah. something. Like, oh, my God, who is this new actor? That's very you know, Dr. Manhattan-esque this, right? that experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watching people experience me and, and learn who I am over and over. Um, and then, you know, people just really appreciating uh, my my versatility as, as an actor and, and, and saying that they're really happy for me that I've got to— really sink my teeth into something and things like that. That's been nice, you know, celebrating the, the success with people who have, who have been watching me uh, as I've been growing for the past couple of years. So, you know, that's been that's been really nice. That's cool. Yeah. Damon was in uh, this this week. He came by on the pod and he was talking about a lot of, like, the anxiety that he had going into the project. Mm-hmm. I think mostly rooted in the idea of um, satisfying, like, pre-existing Watchmen fans. Yeah. And my partner and I, Andy, were kind of like, yeah, but the thing is, is that you you guys created like a whole new generation yeah. of Watchmen fans who are now going to think of Yaya as Doctor mm-hmm. Manhattan mm-hmm. like that, and mm-hmm. they see themselves in that, and that's yeah. incredible. Like yeah. that is that is actually like a, a, like a, a, a miracle when you think yeah. about like how toxic and fucked up pop culture can be yeah, these days. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a pretty amazing experience. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's been a very rewarding part of the conversation. Also, is people saying uh, like we get this new image. Of Doctor Manhattan, or, or wow, you know, uh, a God lives in the body of a black man. Yeah. You know, and 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 being so moved by that, and being so inspired by that. And you're right. There's a whole new uh, generation of people who, um, and a whole new demographic actually, um, who would not consider themselves fans of comics, fans of the Watchmen. They wouldn't have been tuned into this show. Yeah. But you get someone like Regina King, and you and, you, and we talk about some of the subject matter that we're tackling in our show. And all of a sudden, people are, you know, it's opening up, opening up a whole new, uh, watching a whole new viewing experience where people are saying, oh, wow, I'm I'm a fan of this comic. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a Watchmen fan. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm down with, with uh, Dr. Manhattan and, and <laughs> you know, and things like that. So it's really been nice to be a part of those conversations and uh, really, really reinforcing the ideas that representation matters. You know, even for myself, I was, I was a guy who didn't think that it was possible to be an actor mm-hmm. until I saw um, Marshawn Lynch, actually, uh, running back for the yeah. for the you know, Seattle Seahawks. We went to Berkeley together, and I saw him on on television, and that really just demystified the idea that the people in the television were 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 just that the people in the box. Like you saw him on TV just when he was playing at Cal. Like no, I saw him. On, no, I saw him. On, saw him on TV when he went pro. Okay, so I saw him at Cal. Yeah, uh, but 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 when he went pro, that's when it was. I was like, oh, he's one of those people that's inside of inside of the box. Yeah. So, oh, so I can I can do that, you know, and and it, it's crazy because I had every you know, it's crazy that it took someone that I knew to see them in that position, and then that made me think of my, think that I could be an actor, think yeah. think about something else. So it was really about you know representation and about seeing someone um, that you can relate to succeed or be projected, you know, in, in a certain way. And and uh, I have to imagine that that in this in the uh, capacity of, of of being a part of the Watchmen world of playing this character that people are being inspired in the same way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like that that must have been around what like 08, 09 when he mm-hmm. came into the league. So, yeah, I think s- like that. Somewhere around there. And maybe, then m- maybe 2007 or something. 7. Like that. Yeah. So that's right when like the sort of comic book movie boom starts, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. like I guess Batman begins in 05 and mm-hmm. then Iron Man's 08. When you were in school, when you were even just like when you were just studying architecture, mm-hmm. were you like 
really into these movies or was this something no. that no. no no i wasn't a guy who went to the movies uh i didn't go to the movies much. really yeah I, I i mean i saw um i'm still seeing movies for the first time i mean i saw um the godfather for the first time two years ago i saw shawshank Redemption did you like it two, i did i <laughs> yeah. did i did like yeah. it and i was so i mean it was really cool that i could experience that as an adult that i can come to it for the first time there so many people saying oh man you like this is the first time you've seen it i wish i could sit down right now yeah as an adult and watch that for the first time and have that experience. You also find out when you watch Godfather that like half of the things people say to each other are from Godfather right, movies. Right, right, right. <laughs> you get to see so many things and also uh, what was that? In Shawshank, in, uh, Shawshank Redemption. You know, I remember in high school you would write on your desk, you know, Yaya was here yeah. or so-and-so was here <laughs> and all of a sudden and, and, and that can be traced back to Shawshank. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where it goes to before that but um, I didn't know that I was being influenced by that movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so there's there's so many things that I'm just coming to now and experiencing because I was never never thought of myself as a, as an actor. I, that was not the plan at all, and uh, and so I wasn't, you know, really really crazy about about movies or anything like that growing up. Have you nerded out since then, or even since Watchmen's come out? Like, have you started looking at like Reddit or like do you read the do you know the PDpedia thing yeah, that they put up? Where yeah, like yeah, yeah, because they had like. Calvin's medical report yep, yep, up there. Yep. I and posted I was, that on my Instagram. Oh, you did? Yeah, ago. I yeah, was very sure. excited that he was from Philadelphia. Yeah. Like, hey, solid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, the, the, the fans and the supporters, they go deep. They really go deep. And that's really cool to be, to be a part of something where, you know, I care about it and then there's conversation online. But then with Reddit and there's just a whole new community, whole different community of people yeah. that have their... And it's and it's so dope that they can have their experience and their passion validated. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a space for them. And I imagine you know even you know when I was in high school, the kids who liked comics and who were, they were just like I was that was just a little bit too. They were weird. dorks, yeah. Were weird for me. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I was a kid who was in the debate team, on the debate team, in the chess club. I played chess every day at lunchtime. Uh-huh. I was on the basketball and the track team as well, but I was a geek at the same. I was a geek. Yeah. You know, me and my best, my two best friends, we, I can't believe I'm saying this, we wore turtlenecks every Thursday. You I know mean, what I mean? Just like, but, but <laughs> comics, that was too far. Was it turtleneck Thursday? It was, was like it something like, like that. Yeah, we wore turtlenecks on Thursday. It was like <laughs> turtleneck Thursday. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> But we did it, and we were still cool. Yeah. You know, we we were like on the the varsity basketball and football team and things like that. But so you were you walking know. around rocking a turtleneck, but you were like, but I can't. I but can't I read but, I'm, but I'm not. But I'm not. But I'm, not I'm not reading comics. I'm not reading <laughs> comics and anime. I'm just not one of those because they would. They would walk. They would. People like they say that this is how they. This is like a meme of how kids used to run run up the hallway with their hands back and with the, both of their arms back and leaning forward. And it's like true. This is how they used to run up the hallways. <laughs> and they, these they, these were the kids who read the comic books. Yeah. And I was like, you guys are freaking weird. Yeah, but I'm um, going to chess team. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> you guys are weird. I'm going to, ch- to chess and after that I'm going to debate. Uh, but you guys are too weird for me. But it's nice that they have a space that where they're validated and um, damn right. Too. Yeah, and now they're now they're the only game in town. It seems like. right, yeah, right, right, and they're probably writing our shows. You know yeah, what I mean? right. Um, the yeah, I wanted to kind of circle back to something you said in the beginning where you were talking about talking to your friends about your work and yeah. how you like to just kind of be upfront about it. But it seems like if anybody looks at your IMDb page, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to be tight lipped for, for the foreseeable future. It's really all that I do in my in my in my, <laughs> in my work. Really, I can't. I don't know how I do any press. I can't just talk signing about NDAs. Anything. Yeah, yeah. Candyman can't talk about that. Aquaman can't talk about that. Aquaman two can't talk about that. The Matrix can't talk about that. Can you even <laughs> talk about uh, Chicago Seven? Yeah, you know, I can't. I, I think so. I haven't been told that I can't. So yeah. I may as well. I, I should hurry up and do it while I can. Yeah, before they tell me to. Hush have up. you guys started working on that yet? Yeah, I've already. I filmed. I, I finished. Oh, that, I finished that just uh, last last Thursday. What I was think. it like doing Sorkin dialogue? 
dope, man. I mean, you uh, and it's it's not even like you. Everyone thinks that you know you have to speak really fast. Um, that's not true. There's just not a lot of action, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, the 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 dialogue is a character. You know, you just kind of lean into it and say the words. The thing that's so cool about about working with Aaron Sorkin is that. At least that I, that I found cool is that I didn't need a lot of direction, a lot of help because the writing is so good. Yeah. That all you really got to do is, and I hope this is, doesn't sound like a slight to Aaron, but all you have to do is uh, cast it really well. You know, you build an excellent world and you write it well, you cast it well, and then you get actors who can follow the blueprint. Yeah. And sort of, you can step out of the way and then let let good actors do the thing. You know, so um, I you know I was in a room with um, you know Eddie Redman and Mark Rylance, Sasha Baron Cohen. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Frank Langella. I mean, every day, just go, just being in the space, playing in, in uh, exchanging energy. So that was a phenomenal experience. You talk about wanting, you know, appetite, and you know, uh, that's something that I've definitely had the appetite to do for a very long time. That's incredible. I can't wait yeah. to see that. I'm not going to bother you with questions about Matrix and Candyman that I can't <laughs> answer. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the watch, man. No, I really thank appreciate you. Thank it. You. I appreciate it. Man. It's a pleasure. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Pepsi. There are a lot of things to celebrate these days in pop culture, and Pepsi can take all of your celebrations to the next level. Whether your favorite show returns for a new season, your favorite director releases a new movie, or your favorite band drops a new album, when it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open a Pepsi. Man, I can't wait to crack open a Pepsi and watch the season finale of Watchmen on Sunday. We've had a lot of great stuff from Watchmen this week on the pod. It's been an incredible, I guess it'll be nine weeks now, of everybody gathering watching the show, talking about it on Twitter, talking about it on podcasts the next day, writing about it. So excellent. Pepsi is the official sponsor of the NFL, and they remind you to always be celebrating. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by The Real Real Shop or Consign at The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated consignment from top designers. The Real Real has women's and men's luxury fashion as well as fine jewelry, watches, art, and home at up to 90% off retail. Every item is authenticated by The Real Real's team of authenticators. Shop or consign in-store at therealreal.com or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL.